In life, we come across two types of people, those that want things to happen and those that make things happen. From the conversations I've had so far, I've gathered that becoming the driving force that makes a difference comes with four things. Precise understanding of how society works, selfless love for others in your community, curiosity towards figuring out how to transfer your creativity to other spaces, and the vision that you wholeheartedly believe in. When you decide to take the first step towards making that change, you're filled with hope that people will see your vision, that they trust in your abilities, and that it will work out because it just makes sense. What people don't often talk about is that the bigger picture that you have set in stone is the key thing that will still have you putting one foot in front of the other in the midst of all this rejection. I'm Deb Shaw, and this This is Take Two. Take Two. Sick, and I lied to you as well. So, <laughs> yeah, we've been chugging water over here. So, yeah. just in case we pause it, I brought you down to Portobello, your favorite place. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. It is. It's kind of. It's kind of sad now, actually. To be honest with you, I haven't had to, you know, hang out here really in the last what yeah. year and a half or more. I think now, isn't it? So for so for any sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. For anyone that doesn't know what the crack is in Portobello. Mm-hmm. Let's take it back a notch. Yeah. So, of course, this was set up right around like 2004-ish when skaters started coming around here. Yeah. So, um, the it, the current plaza or the one that's currently being like redesigned was built in about 2004. And okay. uh, I think it might have been actually 2005 before it was fully open to the public. But, um, yeah, just by nature of its design, complete fluke, no consultation with skateboarders or anything like that. You know, skating was very very small uh in ireland at that time but it's kind of open plan layout uh allowed for a lot of freedom of movements with skateboarding Mm. and otherwise with bmxing and rollerblading and whatnot but predominantly with skateboarding due to the ledges uh, they were made of uh, i think it was like a a kelp limestone like really commonly found around dublin but like really really durable material really good for skateboarding you know uh quite an enjoyable thing to skate so yeah back in 2004 2005 portobello was constructed and it kind of quickly became one of the best go-to skateboarding spots in all of ireland um so yeah like from there uh the council had put skate stoppers on it to detract skateboarders from going because they obviously seen it as a sort of a like an insurance issue or you know even just as a social issue they just didn't Mm. really like the idea of a lot of young people hanging around in a space kind of uncontrolled let's say um which is all of ireland which is all of ireland yeah yeah um so yeah so the, the the skate stoppers were a shame a couple of years after they had been put on, I was talking to a local guard who had told me that it was actually one person who complained in the area uh, to the council that managed to actually to to the Fianna Fáil uh, local minister at the time. I think it's Jim Callan, Jim O'Callan. Uh, so one person had the power over so many young people who used the space. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, positively to to ruin it, frankly, uh, for a lot of people. And once the skate stoppers got put on a lot of the skateboarders would have stopped coming. Like prior to that, you had skaters coming from all across the city, like on a weekly basis, you know? So wow. it was a very dynamic kind of group of people that were doing this activity together, you know, free of charge. Like, you know, there's no entry fee, there's nothing like that. Um, and then quickly, once the skate stoppers were put onto the ledges, you know, it just, it ruined that for a lot of people. So um, 
it's it's a shame looking back on it now because like I grew up around Portobello. I grew up in Rat Mines, I went to school there, everything started skating at Portobello uh because of that space, you know, because yeah. I've seen skateboarders there. A lot of my other friends did too. And when those skate stoppers were put on, it just deterred a lot of the young people, especially from Charlemont Flats at the time, were really into it, you know, and it was a great facility for them to have. And as soon as that uh skate stoppers went on, it, yeah, again, it just ruined the atmosphere and it ruined the vibe of the space. Probably yeah. makes people angry too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, at the time, it's nearly hard to, you know, again, skating is, is was so small and so new, especially to Ireland at that time, that um, there had only been instances of skate stopping in a handful of other spaces, like most notably probably Baggett Street, uh, Bank of Ireland, which would have been mm. one of the best spots in the world, frankly, before they skate wow. stopped it, yeah. Um, but it was just, I guess at the time, it was just one of those things that, you know, this thing, this always happens, you know, Portobello hadn't really kicked off as like the space that it is now in that, and the history that it's created up to this point, you know, it was just a new, another new spot that was being built. And especially around that time, you know, we were right in the middle of the Celtic tiger. So there were spaces like that kind of popping up all over the place. So it was like, eh, maybe there'll be somewhere else that, you know, eventually comes and pops up, but Nothing really did uh, out of the Celtic Tiger from that. You know, Portobello was special in that its location was very central. You know, it was a safe enough neighborhood for most people to come to and, you know, practice skateboarding without getting hassled and stuff like that, you know. Um, and eventually, over time, a lot of skateboarders just removed those skate stoppers, you know, just took a hammer to it, whatever you had to do, got rid of them and just started skating it again and returned it to somewhat of its, you know, previous status as the go-to space uh, in Dublin for skateboarding you know uh, yeah. and from there then the culture kind of progressed and grew up around it and we were left to our own devices for a long time as well you know we didn't really have that much input from the council about what we were doing and stuff you know uh which was good because it just allowed us our freedom you know mm-hmm. uh there were other attempts to skate stop it but we had a event here in i think it was 2011 with uh, DC, you know, the shoe company yes. brought over, I don't know, maybe 10 professional skateboarders. Uh, and it was the DC King of Dublin event, which was actually held at Portobello. And that's that's a big, that was a big step for Dublin in general to allow something like that to happen in a public space. Uh, previously, it would often have to happen in a very controlled environment, you know, very, very controlled. So uh, that was amazing to see that happen there. And what they actually allowed for was the removal of skate stoppers and the addition of angle iron on the sides of the ledges because in their mind they didn't want to see the ledges damaged okay even though i mean that's that stone is not going anywhere too fast you know um but the event had finished and for a couple of months or, s- or more afterwards the angle iron remained in place so we thought oh the spot is liberated you know the signs are still up saying that you can't skate but uh actually you know the council okay. knowingly implemented these things so it's it's okay and you know the next day you know random day whenever it was a couple of months after the events uh new skate stoppers were added and then you went through the whole same thing again knock them off keep using it say nothing you know just everyone everyone knows what happens here everyone's actually fine with it but you know on the official like council status or stance is that skateboarding isn't allowed there you know so and now there's that hotel yeah yeah so in 2008 there was a planning application that went in on the building adjacent to the public space. So it's important for people to realize that what they would have known as that uh, sort of plaza or square, whatever you want to call it, is actually public space. And that the building immediately butting onto that, which was previously uh, Portobello College, the uh, Atlas Language School, I think it was, 
um and uh and a warehouse and a few other bits it, it's all like obviously they they have access to that space but it's not owned by them you know uh so in 2008 there was a planning application that went in to change that building which was used at the college for the college at the time to a um a medical center which would have been fine you know i think the design wasn't you know, much different to what was there. And, you know, it's a nine to five sort of building usage that it would have been for. Um, so it kind of would have suited us, no problem. You know, most people skate after school or after work in the evenings and stuff. So it's all well and good. But the crash came shortly after that and nothing ever happened. And in 2018, I think it was, a new planning application 10 years after the first one went in for a hotel. A uh, six-story hotel, quite large, a lot of bed space. Really negative for us because a hotel is a twenty-four-seven used building. You know, it's uh, people coming and going all the time, and butlers, security, to uh, yeah. paying tourists, exactly everything. Yeah, so like the the tourism sort of mammoth that Dublin has become was kind of spreading all around the city. It wasn't just Portobello; it was uh, places like the Tivoli or the Hangar and many mm. other spaces, you know, even still today, you know, it's, it's happening nonstop. You know? So many, so many hotels. So many hotels. Like tourism is, it's such a, it's such a massive factor in how the city's changed over the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, no one ever really wants to speak negatively about it here, I find, which is quite interesting. You know, you see in Barcelona, for instance, it's massive. You know, the anti-tourism sentiment is actually on a, on a really, you know, in your face level as you walk through the streets and stuff like that. I don't want to see that happen here. I still think Dublin should be a very friendly place, but I do think that the, you know, uh, you know, the, the residents of the city just haven't been looked after by their council for many, many a year, you know, and the intensification of, of hotel developments and office developments within the two canals has further just torn the city apart and, you know, like, uh, it's interesting because Dublin's population within the two canals today is actually lower than it was 100 years ago. Really? Yeah, like 100 years ago, it wasn't a good scenario whatsoever. You had tenements left, right and centre. You know, every, you know, bit of Georgian Dublin was, you know, 50 people in a building, give or take in some instances. It was really bad, mm-hmm. bad scenario. And then from that, we got a lot of uh, suburban development in Crumlin and Drimna and Coolock, you know, loads and loads of places, you know, and that was beneficial because people were given, you know, front garden, back garden, their own beds, their own bedrooms, all of this stuff, you know, but what we lost from that actually was the city, you know, because the city was then essentially cleared out of people and just replaced with, in most cases, office block development throughout yeah. the 50s and 60s and 70s. Um, so if you go to areas around Stevens Green today, like large sections, sections of those areas didn't really exist in the form that they do now. You know, they were, they would have been actually quite bustling places, at least with people in them before the, uh, like the slum clearances and whatnot. Um, but I think that that is something that had to happen. Like we had to change how we house people, home people, whatever, you know, like, and it needed to happen. But the foresight of the city was left behind. And then from there, developers were able to take over all of Dublin and kind of change it into this, uh, you know, this this great place to be if you're a property developer. But outside of that, not very nice <laughs> atmosphere or place to go and do things in, you know. So I know. I, I, I was speaking to Shane Fleming, who's massive in the real estate field, both in Dublin. Uh, he's from Dublin, but right now he's in New York. Mm-hmm. And... He was kind of just talking about how when it comes to Dublin, considering what it's trying to become, 
in terms of becoming like an international not even competitor but like yeah essentially you're competing with london you're yeah. competing with new york but now we've got facebook we've got google mm-hmm. and all that and what's happening is they're not building up yeah so dublin <coughs> wants to be big mm-hmm. and all business but right now it's not all that mm-hmm. so what's happening is everyone's in this really weird limbo where you have to move to dublin if you want to find a job but good luck finding a place yeah. you know like Just you've say, got yeah. people working yeah. at facebook that are kind of like am i going to be homeless yeah <laughs> you know like i have so much in my bank account right now but i can't find a place yeah yeah and i kind of like when he said that i was like no but like dublin doesn't need skyscrapers like it's so nice Mm -hmm. but unfortunately that is the solution i think then (coughs) where we got to after that was what is architecture gonna look like yeah so i think a lot of the time people kind of forget I think what's happening right now with architects, engineers and all that kind of stuff is they're not looking at timelessness, essentially, where, you know, when you pause by somewhere and you're like, oh, wow, this one's this is a really nice looking, mm. like it's really old and whatever. Yeah. Right now, things are going to last like 100 years. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Max. Yeah. As in. Imagine if dublin were to be designed in such a way where okay look there's more people here we have to deal with millions and we need to house them we need to our only option is building up because not everyone can afford right now let's face it no one's going to be putting deposits on 400k 500k places probably going up to a million Mm -hmm. flats are what's gonna be yeah let's design them a little bit nicely (laughs) fuck the fucking boutique flat things where it's like three grand like no we do not need luxury cars downstairs Mm -hmm. (laughs) as in we don't need a cinema in our place yeah (laughs) we've got really nice cinemas in dublin like stop that um so he kind of changed my perspective a little bit on that where um you yeah right now it's just the decision making in dublin is very built to rent but yeah it is it's you're not renting out to the people that need Mm -hmm. it so um i know this is a massive veer away from the portobello situation but i would love to jump into the housing standpoint because Mm. like my background is in construction oh yeah you you work in yeah do you still work in oh yeah yeah still yeah exactly so you know it's first monday to saturday you know Mm. and still massive interest in in you know developments and housing and just construction in general and construction methods and regulations and all that stuff it's always been very fascinating to me to understand them and you know there's a lot of propaganda that's put into place by developers through various means you can see it through the irish times day upon day uh on behalf of you know developer jargon and developer speak and stuff like that and I get where people come from when they talk about high rise, but if you look at a functional city, I think Paris is a very good example of which uh, Paris has a designated area for high rise, which we would have it, had we not kind of missed the boat on that being Grand Canal Dock and yes. probably, I suppose, the North Wall, East Wall area to an extent as well. You know, they are yeah. areas where they were just previously warehouses. We knew they were going to be turned into these new silicone docks or whatever, Mm-mm. you know. 
and we still kept a height restriction on a lot of those buildings, which was, I think, a bit of a mistake. The interesting thing with the spire as well is when the spire was done, it was done at a time when the Celtic Tiger was at its height, and the idea was that we are now disobeying this height restriction that we've put ourselves under for so long and okay. that's why it is just a large flagpole basically you know? i didn't know that yeah but then shortly after the crash with so many unrealized yeah. developments we said actually let's pull back from the madness and not do what we were thinking about doing there because people come to dublin because it is a historic city you know it's it was founded about a thousand years ago as a viking settlement uh but our council's office block is literally plonked on top of the original settlement itself with just reinforced concrete the history to that alone is is shocking like and yeah. a friend of mine always says that you know dublin city council is an occupational force and when they do things like that it, it actually makes it rings true right in fairness shane he said that as well where they kind of shoot themselves in the foot mm -hmm. and spend a lot of taxpayer money yeah. just fighting against plans yeah, or projects yeah. that would actually benefit the community yeah, absolutely. or help. Uh, what were we calling them? I think we were calling them like local landlords or like small mm -hmm. landlords yeah. that wanted to build a place with just like six rooms, you know, for yeah. students and all that. And it's like, no, only 100 rooms plus. And it's like, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that was part of uh, a change in the national framework in, I think it was 2017, when Owen Murphy was the Fine Gael's housing minister at the time, and he ripped up the planning rule book that's been in place since, give or take, the 70s, obviously always amended and changed. Mm. But that was the thing, is that no longer are you looking at trying to stop developers, uh, you know, making too many rooms in one specific place. It was actually a, a change to be like, get as much as you possibly can in there, and we'll allow you to reduce the standards of construction as well. Like, I would never buy an apartment in this country because I've seen how they're built. I've seen how bad the work is, and I see how quickly they go up and how minimal effort and thought is put into them. And an example of this is that I thought for a long time that the beacon in Sandyford, which is, you know, full of lovely fancy hospital. glass. Off of, yeah, well, the hospital's there. But just right uh, adjacent to it is all of the apartments and stuff. And I thought, wow, they are like look like a very high spec. Yeah, they look gorgeous. Apartment. They look beautiful. And actually, they are the same as very many other apartment blocks all across Ireland in that they're condemned for fire regulations. They're very, very unsafe places to live, never mind spend 600 grand on buying mm -hmm. a two-bedroom two flat. You know, like Priory, Priory Hall is the is the most glaring example of it, uh, where people had taken out mortgages and, you know, there was suicide over this, this issue where people had taken out these massive mortgages. Obviously, the crash had come, but then also they find out that they're not even allowed to live in the apartments that they purchased because they're that dangerous. You know, the Grenfell Tower in, in London was uh, it sent massive shockwaves across all of the UK in terms of what they were building and how they were building it. And it really should have done the same here, too, because we do have those same issues. So when you're talking about kind of construction and how we're going to get all of these people into one place to live and the idea of, you know, high rises there. OK, I can accept that. But I think it's actually it's it's use isn't. Uh, it's not as useful as people kind of tend to make it out to be. Mm. Paris is five, six stories for the most part across yeah. the whole city, and it works really well because you cannot put too many people into one place. It puts too much pressure on local services, be it transport or food, schools. You know, this. if you just start putting up these high rises, you know, wherever, it's just going to, you know, it's going to put too many people in one place at one time. So there's no, to my mind, I just can't really see 
uh, a joint up thinking between different councils and, you know, even the national government. And like to this day, the reason why Dublin is how it is in terms of where its suburbs are and why they are there, you know, why is it that working class areas are predominantly in West Dublin? You know, there's always this funny thing of like North side, South side Dublin, but actually if you look at the geography and the, you know, the, the, what, what is it like, uh, you know, class differences let's yeah. say across dublin it's actually all east to west uh like the further east you go the more wealthy it becomes and east is anywhere from hoth across to Kalini, work your way down across dublin bay from clontarf to black rock all of those places are very very wealthy uh and then once you start moving west it's when you start getting into areas like as far as blanchestown or finglas or wherever it is you know and at the time crumlin and, and drimna would have been very far west in terms of dublin city you know but why is it that Dublin City Council are the ones that have all of those areas in them and not South Dublin County Council or, or maybe large parts of Fingal? And it's because even as far back as the 50s and 60s and 70s, the councils weren't, you know, talking to each other in terms of joint up planning and thinking. South Dublin County Council, or actually, sorry, Dunleary Ratdown at the time, didn't want to take the burden of depopulating the city of its slums and rehousing people. They didn't want to do that. So they didn't. And then what happened from that is there was all this green space around the sort of southeast of Dublin City, which then became this very, very wealthy area. So and and then you don't have that mix, you know, because that mix is important to not have an area, you know, become a ghetto essentially. You know, you, mm. you know, you need you need a kind of a mix of, and you, you'll hear this all the time, you need a mix of like uh, high incomes, low incomes, all of these things, you know, be it even in apartment blocks to housing estates and whatnot. Yes. And that's why if you look today, you know, UCD and its surrounding areas and stuff like that are very kind of high, uh, you know, upper middle class and there's not very many uh, working class areas around them and all the working class areas were kind of pushed into West Dublin, mm -hmm. you know, and, and again, like we're still in this situation now where we have like four or five different councils for Dublin alone and not very many of them are joining up and thinking together. It's And why know. do you think that's um, the case? I think that local democracy and local governance in Ireland is incredibly poor. And uh, like I've spent time in uh, Denmark and Sweden trying to understand exactly what it is that makes those places great. And it's actually local governance. It's being able to talk to someone on the ground about an issue and sorting it out and people really having to, a vision about where it is that they're living. They put quite a lot into their like services there, you know, mm. and uh, a lot of thought goes into it, where, whereas that doesn't happen here. And I think some of that comes from when the Free State was formed in Ireland and we kind of wanted to like rip up everything the British had done here, you know, and part of that was the local governance structure that they had, which actually was probably a quite a good thing, you know, because you had... Uh, Early councils, like for instance, Rathmines would have had its own township, which was essentially a council. Donnybrook would have had its own. I think Cabra might have had its own, and there's a few other places. But these are these were local structures that actually sourced their own water and waste and stuff like that, you know, and sewage treatment wherever it was, and made sure the lighting was correct and stuff like that. You yeah, know? like you um, had your own like council, like exactly. your local. You would be voting for, of course, like your national. Yeah election but then your local council elections were exactly too. yeah exactly now we still have that obviously yeah. to this day but the, i i think that the councillors in you know ireland have very little to actually do or not not no sorry they have quite a lot to do but they have very little the power. Uh, power let's yeah. say you know yeah they which have is a to shame. go to a boss and then there are other uh -huh. exactly you know 
if you have enough you followers on Twitter, yeah, if you have enough followers on Twitter, I think you can make a bigger impact, and that's a shame. That's yeah. that's that because this is a this is the system that we rely upon to change things for the better, you know. Mm. Um, and it's it is the way it is that like you know certain people with a bit of clout online can make something change, whereas the people who have been elected by people in their area, whatever it is, have to struggle day in and day out to try and make any changes at all. And then there was a lot of corruption issues in Ireland throughout the 70s and 80s, and, and a lot of that was centered upon local politics too. So over time, the power has been eroded from local governance, and it's all very top-heavy now. So you don't really go to your councillor for very many issues. You'd actually just try and bypass them and get to a minister. But a minister shouldn't be dealing with local issues. They should be dealing with national issues, you know? And again, like if you look around places that do it very well, I think Germany probably does it very well, but like certainly the Nordic uh, countries do it incredibly well. And, and I think the reason is, is because their local governance is really, really strong, very watertight. Like, you know, and if you want to make a change there, there are avenues to walk into a building and make that change quickly without having to like rip your hair out. You know what I mean? But yeah. there's, there's reason. And, 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 you know, there's, there's just, there's foresight. I think there's very little foresight here. Fuck yeah <laughs> yeah that's quite a lot to like uncover yeah. and i think it sometimes comes down to the concept of as humans i think we love to be in control of things yeah and the one thing that i probably struggled with when it came to just working here just like a normal like office job people love to be in control of everything and mm -hmm. like um, they don't really allow that freedom for you to fuck up nearly. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And I completely understand how if you were to put like transfer said humans from the office to becoming like a politician, where it's like, no, CC me and all the email. No, I have to give the say, I have mm -hmm. to give the yes or no, which then just slows down any decision-making process yeah. because you're always waiting for a confirmation nearly yeah, yeah too many chefs in the kitchen yeah exactly exactly and like i'll make the point there now that like the reason why the project we completed in this year where we built a yeah. you know a ramp for a lot of kids on the island who had nothing else to do is because we cancelled out quite a lot of those factors i was literally know. about to ask you like I, I have it written down here yeah planning permission how yeah, did yeah. you Actually, so, get it. Uh, so look, uh, where we built that ramp is a place called Inishir, and it's uh, one of the three Aran Islands just off the coast of Galway. Um, there's about 285 people, give or take, who live on the island. Might be a bit more now. It's it's the only island in Ireland, to my knowledge, that's actually growing in population, uh, and it's a fantastic place to live in many ways. Obviously, there's struggles. Is there much to do? Um, like, would you consider living there? I would actually, yeah. I think it's a really beautiful place. Uh, there's very few places in Ireland that top that level of of beauty, okay. you know. But obviously, that's not everything, you know. You have to think about more factors than that. Okay, is there um, a school? Oh, there is. Yeah, there's two schools: primary Hospital? and secondary. Uh, there's a nurse that and a doctor. But if you had any issues, you'd be airlifted to Galway. And actually, I think. I could be wrong with this, but the irony is that you might actually get there quicker than if you, you know, called an ambulance, <laughs> especially in Dublin. I think now, sure. like if you were to ring an ambulance, you could be waiting quite. Oh yeah. Hours. You had like an issue with your head, right? Yeah. I took a spill a couple of years ago and uh, now in fairness, the ambulance was with me very quick, but I was, you know, bleeding from my head and told that I'd be waiting at least 13 hours in the, 
waiting room to be seen and i said ah fuck i'll go home you know <laughs> you went home <laughs> yeah i was i was fine in the end but did you need stitches actually no just, just wash your head glue you know glue would okay. actually do, do a lot for you <laughs> look there was this one time right i remember i was eight years old obviously not skateboarding yeah. in some woods don't ask me where and there were we were a group of kids there was another group of kids and one of the dogs started barking called bruce yeah I remember like scurrying away and whatnot, and then these kids decided to start throwing rocks. Oh no! Well, dun, dun. feel a thump <laughs> on my head, and I would have never gotten stitches ever. And I just remember going like this, ah, yeah, you know, and then yeah. looking down and it's just like dripping. Yeah. I screamed because <laughs> I was scared of the blood and I was scared of getting stitches because my brother used to get stitches all the time growing up. Um. And I just remember my dad pouring like a jerry can of water on yeah. my head. Grand. Yeah. It's just the blood just yeah. gushing all the time. Oh, the healthcare situation here is quite scary. I'm glad I'm at the age I'm at right now because if it's still this bad in 40 years time or something like that. Oh, uh, yeah. Big trouble. <laughs> like really big trouble. I know. You know? I know. Like that's going to be really. Uh, I'm excited to grow up even more just to see. Hmm. Just curiosity. Yeah. yeah. What are we going to have? Yeah, um, I don't know. And, and again, like, you know, there's something nice about actually being in Inishir in a small yeah. island because you have to be a lot more self-reliant than you would be on the mainland. You know, you have to make things work, whatever it is at your disposal, be it for constructing things or dealing with things and stuff like that. You know, you have to be a little bit more. And you have to, like, consider what you're bringing in. Yeah, yeah, and, exactly. Like, yeah, stock up as well, I'm assuming. Yeah, you could have uh, you could have days where, weeks, if the cargo ship can't land in the middle of a bad winter, you know, you could be stuck without a lot of supplies. You know, it's, oh it, it is a reality, you know. Mm. Um, but, yeah, like, when you have a, a, a community like that, it is very close. You know, it's not all dreamland. You know, there's, there's there's the same issues you get everywhere else in the world in these places. But it's very you can make decisions very quick if you want to. You know, you're not as reliant upon several different bodies to give you an A OK as you will be here, for instance. Like we got contacted by Dunleary Rat Down to build a skate park in uh, in Dunleary by the West Pier, and I think it's going to be a great project. But I was contacted about that back in May, and here we are coming into winter. You know middle of September and I'm being told that actually yeah no it's still going to happen it's just going to take a while longer than we thought well why is it oh because Irish water have to do a survey you know it's like really you know is that we just we could have had that park that summer skate park yeah but that park could have been ready that summer and yeah you know you just miss these opportunities like and the thing within this year was why we wanted to get out there quickly and do what we done was because there was a group of actually quite keen skateboarders you know they'd skate every day together they're only about 11 12 years old but they're really really into it but they hadn't actually got anything and we can we can complain about it in dublin with yeah. lack of spots but like really there was nothing uh -huh. there you know so hadn't had we waited and gone through the proper channels let's say of getting a skate park on average to get a skate park anywhere in ireland takes about seven years between planning fundraising petitioning all of that stuff mm -hmm. those kids would be 18 you know they would have been Drop. going to college left whatever it is and all the kids in between you know that time when the skate park wasn't built would have never picked it up because it, the facility wasn't there mm -hmm. so for us to go over there and put a sort of a stopgap measure in place of uh of the mini ramp it was a beautiful project we got really we got a great reception of the mini ramp actually while you're yeah, yeah 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 for sure um 
I'm not, I'm not actually sure where you might find it. Uh, oh, oh, sorry, oh, I said yeah, it to yeah, you. Yeah, Apologies, you yeah. So, you know, we it, it, it was just such a beautiful project to do, but this could be replicated everywhere. And my, my actual thinking process of this was that if this could be done in such a, such a you know, uh, let's say low-density area or, you know, like random place in the sense that it could be done just about everywhere. There's no reason so many more towns and villages across Ireland shouldn't have these facilities, you know? And again, it's not that expensive. Like we fundraised, uh, yeah, you know, how much did that cost you? We fundraised about 4,000 euro to construct that ramp. Now that was just with materials. And then it was all, all uh, you know, it was all like uh, self. Yeah. Well, we, we brought over our own crew of people who just wanted to do it because we love skateboarding, you know, really and truly. So, you know, with labor, uh, costs and stuff like that, I mean, things are skyrocketing again now, but, mm -hmm you could do a project like that under 15 grand and it'll be done quite well, you know, but obviously the, you know, the, the goal here in the long term is to get a concrete skate park, you know, a permanent one. Yeah. Um, but again, those things do take quite a long time, even though they shouldn't, they still do. And like I said, in between that time, there's a really, there's a missed opportunity for young people, uh, to not have access to these things, you know? I know it's actually lovely to just, I think that's the one thing that I find fascinating about the skateboarding community in general is how willing and determined and passionate everyone is yeah. to make a difference. Yeah. That's the one thing. Even if you just like want to just skateboard grand mm -hmm. uh, and you don't want to do all this active stuff. Yeah. It's so interesting. I feel like there's no other community that I could <laughs> yeah. think of. It, like surfing community would be kind of similar yes there's like sports clubs mm -hmm. but i feel like this is the only community that doesn't have training to go to yeah. no coaches yeah and it just ends up like how the fuck did you find people that wanted to work for free <laughs> for like five six days yeah right yeah yeah um it was incredibly easy <laughs> it exactly. was too easy actually it was nearly I was trying to keep this as low key as possible. Probably, I so yeah, many I can people, imagine. Anyone who heard about it wanted to do it, and yeah, you know, I just didn't. You just couldn't. You had to keep it no. kind of low numbers just for for like making my life easier. I think more than anything else. Because then you have but, to coordinate everything, safety. I'm yeah, assuming exactly. Yeah, so six days. That's look at that. Yeah. And yeah. how did you? Was it just your construction background that made you like figure out? These uh, things? Yeah, like I've I've built them before, so it wasn't really that big of a challenge. It was actually really nice to be able to like design and construct it because usually, like my day job is just construction. I'm not really involved in the design. You get drawings and you build them and you figure out ways how to build them, but you're mm -hmm. not actually like changing them. So to do this was nice, and uh, you know, just yeah, the design like the design aspect of it was very very fun to be a part of, but. You just know what works after skating for, you know, I've been skating for like 15 years. So you kind of just know what yeah. works and what doesn't and stuff, you know. So like for that, I had to do something where those kids had never dropped in before. I couldn't do something too big for them, but I couldn't do something too small either because then they'd quickly get bored of it, you know. Exactly. So I had to get this kind of middle ground where it was like, right, it's a it's just a really, really fun, good ramp to skate no matter what your level is. Mm -hmm. um, but you can also learn on it, too yeah you know so that like when we construct skate parks in this country we do that we don't consult the end users which is a massive massive mistake and this is what we're trying to change now but you know you could spend a quarter of a million on a skate park like you would out in body firma and actually if you'd spent one-fifth of that you probably could have gotten a better skate park you know 
which is the shame. Uh, you want to know what challenges them, what yeah. excites them, what they want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it's just this. Look, the people who do you know design skate parks in this country more often than not don't skate, uh, and it's a huge, huge factor. You know, it's just. You know, you wouldn't design a wave for a surfer if you didn't surf. Yeah. You know what I mean? As in... So if I were to put the ball in your court, mm -hmm. like we're going to build your dream skate park. Yeah. What would it consist of? Like for me, it's going to be different to other people and especially yeah. my age is or also like your a factor. Group. Yeah. Like personally speaking, what I like to see is a space like Portobello, obviously maybe a bit more, you know, larger space anyway, but you want somewhere that... In my opinion, what I would like to see is I don't actually want a skate park, funny enough. it's okay. Skate parks don't really interest me that much. I think they're good facilities. They're good for learning. They're good for getting people into it and stuff like that. But frankly, like I think skateboarding has a bigger social potential than to be within this cage, you know, this, this these cages and, you know, just put into this space and just do it there. Because mm. skateboarding at the end of the day is about using what's all around you. It's, it's very like, uh, it's nearly like... A lot of it relies upon your initiative and your creativity and how you it's skate. It's like spatial. Yeah, spatial as well. And and you don't, like, I make this point to a lot of people, like, there's great skate spots in Sandyford Industrial Estate, but nobody wants to spend their weekends there every weekend because it's an incredibly dull place. But Portobello, even when it's skate stopped, is a lesser skateboarding space than a lot of those other places, but it has a fantastic atmosphere and visually it's a very attractive place to be you're right on the banks of the canal you're right beside town there's good food places there's good bars and stuff like that so it's just a very nice social hub to be at uh so for me personally if i wanted a skate space i'd do something like portobello where again it's central it's not just for skating it's not like if skateboarder if skateboarding stopped tomorrow that space would still be used yeah. you know but uh, you could build a skate park and if skateboarding stopped tomorrow then it'd never be used so mm -hmm. in my mind it's like build something for the future that's going to make sense in many regards have an open space have materials that are you know durable have them in such a way so that it can be for different levels you know people who are just starting to skate or rollerblade or whatever it is or people who are very advanced or have it so that it actually doubles up as a chair for people to sit down if they're tired you know so there's all of these different things like it, it's they can be done very simply but the main thing is to get the point across that it's not a skate park you're looking for in these spaces it's like a social hub you want a place that makes the city better and people can use it and get along weaver park is the closest example we've got uh, and the whole idea there originally was to get a skate park within the city but then we like the skateboarders came together with uh, the residents and said, no, let's just get a park for the people of the city, you know, together. And we never really wanted the skateboarding bowl in the center of it, which is a bit of a shame because it does create more of a skate park feel than it actually necessarily should. Like initially it, sh it was more of a street kind of, you know, street plaza, let's say, yeah. you know, that like was just, you could be commonly found around most places in, in European cities and stuff. But it was very close and it's a good attempt, you know, at the end of the day, it is a very good attempt. And to have that as a blueprint going forward to be like, look, here's a park where there are no separations between the people who are walking through it with their dogs or their kids and the people who are skating there. Everyone's using the same space, you know, and yeah. so use that going forward to be like that could be done on the top of Cable Street. It could be done on, you know beside a Jervis shopping center, you know, it could be done at Portobello, it could be done at Grand Canal Dock. Mm. There's no reason to just, you know, put this kind of blanket, oh, well, like, no, it's not designed specifically for this. 
so it shouldn't be used for this. Like that's, again, you're just talking about poor planning then, you know, and so many spaces in Dublin are for office workers who stop for a 15 minute coffee on their lunchtime and they go home and then that's it. And then that's it. That's something like, of course, city parks were very new to me. Mm -hmm. So when I moved to Dublin, I was like, oh, wow, that's so cool. Yeah. And I think there's a lot, uh, there's such a beauty when it comes to street sport, Mm -hmm. street basketball, football, whatever it may be. And I think that um, there's so much potential right now that I think they're just missing simply by just simple lights, floodlights, you know, it gets dark at 4 p.m. Yeah shelter mm-hmm. put a little massive thing <laughs> never considered yeah. yeah like in a country that rains quite frequently like you know why not <laughs> you know just put a massive gazebo yeah. over it or something because yeah. for uh, again that's the interesting thing and that's why i love that's why it's called take two as well is because my context is everything is private mm-hmm. nearly everything is private back home to the point where if you're playing football, you're trespassing every yeah. time, basketball, whatever it may yeah. be. Uh, so coming here and you're like, oh, well, you know, there's basketball, right? Oh, yeah. Good job, guys. Yeah, yeah. And then it's just like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Did you not think of that? There's even just the, the factor of having the fences around just about every park, you know, from Marion Square to Stevens Green, you know, even Phoenix Park has large walls around it, you know. Yeah. Um, look, some of those are historical, you know what I mean? Mm. Like, but we again weaver park is unique in the sense that it's i think to my mind it's one of the only parks in ireland or not in ireland but certainly in dublin that doesn't have fences around it and i actually think that that's really special is that for like safety reasons your kid can't run off possibly yeah but i mean within the playground of the park itself there are those fences for that reason so you you know you're anticipating that the people who are playing outside of those you know, outside of the immediate Time playground. The cage. You know, you ha- yeah, you have to be sensible enough to, you know. But the the pl- the park is designed in such a way where it has a boundary, but the fences are only, you know, four foot high. And they're surrounded by quite nice, you know, uh, planting and shrubbery and stuff mm. like that, you know. So that makes sense. But the main thing is actually that it's visually, uh, you know, you can see everything in the park from the road. That's really important. So that anyone passing by is going to be able to see what's happening there if something bad is happening there. And the idea therein is that you have self-policing in a sense so that, uh, you know, the more eyes on a, any given place, the safer it is. You yeah. Know? That's not to say, in O'Connell Street, you don't see crazy stuff happen every week now. Oh, my. But it certainly helps. <laughs> it helps if it's not down an alleyway, it, you it, know. It, yes. Um, that and it also helps save people from danger. The amount of yeah. drunk people that exactly, toss yeah. themselves in front of the Lewis just. Yeah. Yeah, without yeah. knowing and they're just immediately yeah, yeah. like picked up and grabbed exactly yeah like i was driving home two nights ago and i seen a guy pa- passed out on the sidewalk his bike was on the ground i had my van so i was like all right fuck it i'll okay. just i'll wake him up how you doing you all right you want to lift like jump yeah. in the back whatever it is but he was in you know I'm, I'm out in the sticks here at the minute but like he could have just not been found for hours and who knows what might have happened you know but again like that's just a this is an example of like why it is that you want to live in areas. And again, Paris is a good example of this. Five, six stories. There's people there. It's not overcrowded, but there's enough people walking through it consistently so that the whole area is relatively safe. You know, yeah. you know, you have a constant flow of people so that if something does happen within a few minutes, someone's going to see it and they can notify be it the guards or the ambulance services or whatever it may be, you know. Um, but yeah, like again, like if you design a park that's you know caged off or whatever it is especially quite large parks 
you don't know what's happening in there anymore and you're you don't you, you know you you can't get access into it and it's dark there's no lights in it more than likely you know what i mean so like the overall thing that space has now become actually just dangerous you know whereas if you had that open and well lit with public paths going through be at the center of it or whatever it is at least then you're adding you're you're just you're genuinely protecting people in those instances yeah you know and again obviously you still have the option not to go through that park or not but like this the 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 structure is there so that uh, it's safer than it would be otherwise you know if you mm -hmm. just secluded yeah exactly yeah i get that yeah now onto something a bit it, we're still going to be talking about this essentially mm -hmm. But considering that you, a majority of your vast majority of your work is within activism and all that, how do you and also you work in construction? <laughs> how do you control your emotions from not going like, you know what? I'm done. Yeah. Uh, Fuck this. Yeah. <laughs> because this is, uh... in politics, I think when you just get caught up in politics, mm -hmm paralysis by analysis nearly where you're just angry yes all the time and frustrated and absolutely. you just feel helpless i think yeah. especially right now with the crisis absolutely yeah i go through waves of it yeah. um so you, you this is actually happening this podcast is happening now at a really interesting time because every time that we release a magazine or we come to the end of a big project i'm i'm pretty burnt out for at least a week 10 mm -hmm. days or something like that you know i'm just thank you for coming on I no problem it. yeah <laughs> i think that's why i'm Let's sick talk about your feelings <laughs> yeah i think that's why i'm sick though is because uh you know it nearly that nearly happens every time yeah, too. my body, body knows now. it's just like you need to chill out for a couple of days or whatever yeah. it is. but i have um i have a, a restlessness in me that won't allow me to sit still for too long and that's both good and bad in that it allows me to do loads of really cool things in my life but it also doesn't allow me to ever just sit there and relax and the times when i do do that i'm i'm very content and stuff but like it's not very long until something pops in my head. And I'm like, I need to keep going again, you know, always keep going sort of thing. And like, I'm okay with that because I suffered really, really badly for a long time as a young adult, you know, still like go through patches of it. Obviously, like you never, you know, as long as you're alive, you will go through, yeah. you know, uh, ups and downs. But uh, my early 20s and late teens were very, very difficult in terms of anxiety and depression and going through these ups and downs and, and bouts. And like, that's not even that long ago, but it was long enough ago to the point where nobody really knew that much about it. I think it's obviously a lot more mentioned now, talked about and stuff like that. People have their own coping mechanisms and they will share them with people. But back then it was just, I just couldn't find anything yeah. to deal with that. You know what I mean? Oh, we didn't have a name for it. I'm assuming like we're the same age. I'm 25. Yeah, I'm 20, 27. Yeah, yeah there so. you go. As in, when we were 20. Yeah, that was not that nothing. long ago. You were yeah. called a perfectionist. Yeah. And probably if you admitted that you were a perfectionist, someone told you to cut the notions yes yeah because yeah, your work yeah. isn't that perfect actually <laughs> like that's yeah. what i used to go by but there's like oh shit no it's actually anxiety <laughs> yeah yeah it's yeah that's it it's it's um i think that's just part of growing up and learning how your own mind works the thing yes. that fascinates me when i look back and like our parents generation and stuff i'm like how did you do it like with all of the you know because everything that they done they done at our age now like the world has changed since and we'll be a lot later to the to the game in terms of like mm -hmm maybe ever getting a house or like having you know a family and stuff like that you know so i do think for us it's like every generation it's never easy life no. is never easy but for us we are now entering a stage of the these technologies which are so new 
that like nobody really knows the answer anymore. You know what I mean? There's no, it's very, very difficult. But, and that's why like you can't really shut off in this day and age, you know, as long as you have a phone and these apps and whatever, you're constantly, you're always able to be contacted. You know, you're always able to. So being out in Indonesia is great because you don't get very good connection in many instances and you're just left to your own devices and you can take in what's around you. Be at the same, like, because you're in the middle of the ocean, all you can hear is the sea, you know, birds and sea and, yeah. and just fresh air. So there's a, there's, that's why living in places like that offers respite in many ways, obviously. But from a working point of view, I'm still trying to figure out uh, how to do all of these projects without cutting off uh, people that I love and people that I want to spend time with and without being a moody prick in between <laughs> because I still can't figure that out. Same. You it's know, it's, it's just, you kind of have to take it day by day. But in terms of like what I would use as coping mechanisms, I think the stoicism, just reading that and really trying to get a good understanding of that and having these... Um, these sayings that you can repeat in your head and immediately bring you back down to a relaxed state yeah. are like really important. Everyone's going to be different in how they use them or like how they'll bring themselves to that place. But for me, since I've spent so much time reading it and like really soaking it all in, it still helps me quite a lot to this day, you know? And, you know, like now if I go through a difficult period, uh, if something happens in life, I, I'm now at a point where I'm trying to sit with that emotion rather than just distract myself, which I would have done previously, yeah. just immerse myself in work and try not think about it. The, um, as a, I think it's like a Hemingway quote or something like that, but it's like a busy bee is no time for sorrow. And I love that quote, but as the years progress, I'm like, yeah, but it also hasn't got time to, <laughs> to heal. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So I think it's just about finding that balance where you want your work to fuel you like Marcus Aurelius and yeah. all that kind of stuff. It's exactly, like you are yeah. here to work. Yeah. Why stay in bed? Yeah. I'm yeah. butchering the quote, but that's yeah. basically it. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, Marcus <laughs> is right. You know, let's go. Yeah. And then you're just like, oh, fuck, <clears throat> life is passing me by. Yeah. Um, of course, we're here to enjoy it, but we're also here to work. Mm -hmm. And where is that sweet spot? And yeah. I think life is just figuring out, figuring out what that sweet spot is. Yeah. The sweet spot might be when we're. It could be, yeah. You know, hopefully, <laughs> you know. Uh, I, 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 I hope to God. I hope to God it is. Yeah. <laughs> as in, are you ever gonna get it right? Probably not. You no. know. Uh, but like again, you know, certain people are probably you know they are perfectionist stuff. My thing is actually I just prefer everything done over than perfect. You know what I mean? But I'm always gonna try and strive to like do better and stuff like that. You of course. Know? But yeah, like. It's just, it's, it's just interesting. The, the older you get, the more experiences you learn and the more perspective you gain. And if one of the Stoics, uh, you know, kind of, what are they? One of the things that they do to try and like, you know, put things into perspective is imagine you're coming from like a higher place looking down on the world. And it's like you looking at the ground and just seeing ants running around. It's like, it's so insignificant, like, you know? Mm. So that's why I try to not take uh, things too seriously as much as possible. But like, it's hard not to get wound up. Like if I go online and I see this outrageous decision or comment from someone in public life and the government, whatever it is, I'm like, how could you think this is so silly? Or if I'm going through traffic and someone nearly kills me on my bike and I'm like, why, why, what was the point in that? You know, it's hard not to get wound up by that stuff, but like constantly putting that into your head over time of just like, let it go. Uh, mm. It can help quite a lot. But then 
you don't want to become passive either, right? Because you don't want no. to, you don't, it's important to stand up for yourself or stand up if you see something wrong. And I found that I would have done that a lot more, I think, when I was younger in uh, in streets, in cities and stuff like that. If I seen something that I thought was messed up, I'd probably get angry about it immediately to try and stop it. Now I'm just like trying to like, it's harder, you know, like the more things come to your mind now as you get a bit more experience, you're like, I don't want to get involved here because then I'm, I might end up getting you know, it might, something bad might happen to me sort of thing. You know, yeah. there's these doubts and fears that come into your mind. I think when you're younger, you're a little bit more just like, I don't care. This is wrong, blah, blah, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, it is important to like stand up and call out something when it's wrong, you know, but then you don't want to get lost in this horrible echo chamber of like Twitter or Instagram or something like that either. You know, I think talking to people in person is always the best way. And skating is one of the few activities that takes place in streets and cities all the time and you're constantly dealing with people and it's not up to you who it is that you deal with you know be it security guards police random strangers on the street yeah. you don't like you or whatever it is you know but yeah you have to you've got to learn them social skills or else it's always going to be a struggle for you to like go anywhere and skate you know for sure i remember just i always get so fascinated whenever i meet minty like evan mm -hmm. yeah because <laughs> it's just like uh, very, something very simple where we're doing something and someone chimes in and I'm like, hey, sorry, you know, we're doing something. Da, da, da. Yeah. He's like, oh, I'm staying here. And then Evan just turned like he is obviously more confident because he has had to deal with so yeah. many confrontations yeah, yeah, yeah. all the time. So. That's something that I am. I don't follow my ass every day, like yeah. in front of people and have to like get up and do yeah. it again. And you have to laugh it off and you have to laugh quicker than they will. You, you have know? to laugh quicker <laughs> than they will. If if it hurts, no, it doesn't. Yeah. You know, and if someone tells you to leave, you're like, I'm not going. Mm -hmm. Depend <laughs> I think as time has gone on and I certainly I get older and I just see a security guard with a job and I just feel bad now. But it's funny, like, yeah. you know, years ago it was very aggressive uh immediate stance security guards would take to you as a skateboarder and i think that's kind of gone now i think it's like the security guard comes out and it's like oh sorry lads you know i have to kick us out you're like yeah no, that's cool but years ago like you would have gotten assaulted like regularly assaulted by like trinity college their securities uh, were were scumbags you know ucds scumbags um certain other buildings and stuff you'd know mm. like you'd know if that security guard was there you're like I don't know whether I'm even going to try this now because it's dangerous. Yeah, know? but now we have this. But now you have your phones. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's probably it. why it's so different. You know. Do you want to be Temple Born? Um. Yeah. No. Yeah. Like, uh, isn't that if we were to go a year back? Yeah. That fucking yeah caused havoc. Yeah. For Temple Bar yeah. because of like all the the money that they had to pour out and yeah, all that yeah. kind of stuff. And it, it made skaters actually look good because we didn't just recklessly do something student smash the yeah. windows or whatever. That's what you I know, told people them. were just there to be like, no, all we want is an apology. We're mm -hmm. just here to stand up and say like you should say sorry for what you've done because it wasn't right. Yeah. And luckily enough for the kids who were involved in that altercation, they had a really strong community behind them, yes. as in the skateboarders. How many people do bouncers do that to that don't have that and get away oh, yeah. with absolute murder, you know? And I'm not saying that's an easy job. I see what happens in Dublin City once, you know, once the moon comes out and it gets, you know, a bit mm -hmm. rowdy and stuff like that. It's not a job that I envy. But I have also witnessed very many people power trip in those situations For before sure. as well. The yeah. CCTV, what it wasn't the CCTV camera, actually. It was temple bars live the webcam, live webcam yeah. for tourists yeah, and which you is... think that would be in your mind when you're dragging a child into a pub <laughs> to slap them around you know yeah exactly but no because they don't no not, they didn't think anything was going to happen they from didn't. It. thankfully it did you know uh -huh. thankfully people stood up and said this isn't right you know no it's not yeah 
oh yeah i don't know it's so it's weird times you know where you're just like okay i am living through this you mm-hmm. know first like covid then yeah everything else it's like okay are we gonna catch a break probably not but then again just take yourself back a notch and i don't think i would have wanted although i'm not irish so i wouldn't have been here but i wouldn't want to be a fresh graduate yeah going into the celtic tiger yeah and then and then what happened shit hitting the fan probably that's why i think i think that that has a massive influence on the decision makers nowadays you're so right and nobody pays attention to it and it's our generation that have to go through like it's as if we have really strict parents Mm -hmm. But our parents are the decision makers. Yeah, yeah. You know? Nobody really takes the impact of the financial crisis into their mindset anymore. Yeah. It, you know, even when it was happened, when it was happening, when COVID is happening, when these things are happening, you just have to deal with what's immediately in front of mm-hmm. you and you can't look back on the decisions of whether or not they were right or wrong. But we're far enough gone from the 2008 crash to look at being like, what actually was right and wrong? You know, seen what happened in Cherry Orchard the other day. You know, there's arguments flying around of whether or not that's just these people are always going to act the bollocks and, you know, rally cars around or whatever it is. Or is it that so many, uh, you know, things were cut, be it like community activities or, you know, uh, facilities or like police presence or whatever it is, you know. But like it's such a huge impact on Irish society and it's never been righted either. You know, this is something that and the same people who made those decisions are in power right now yeah they're still yeah. <laughs> there you know yeah like the only reason that the other side of the cheek Fine Gael, were in power for the last few years predominantly over Fianna Fáil was because at the time they weren't the ones who were in power mm. but you know in 2022 everyone knows that they're pretty much the exact same uh and and yeah like again like how can you how can you you know put responsibility on people when the people who are in charge are the ones that caused that yeah you know? That and you can't expect much out of people. If, like, let's say you want to live a good life in Ireland, right? You're renting, grand, whatever. It's like, let's say it is what it is. If you want a car, yeah, yeah, loads. You you don't have money anymore. Yeah, for the rest of the year until you're like after you pay your insurance, you're done. Yeah, petrol, you're done. Of course, you're just gonna be roaming around like doing like. Mm-hmm. wheelie not wheelies what am i saying like uh, what are the donuts yeah <laughs> Do- like donuts because you can't do anything yeah, else you're kind of trapped you're in this space you're and you can't trapped. get out of it you know like it's it's funny all these hidden costs and stuff like that and i'm you know i spend so much time around younger people anyway from the skaters and stuff like that and i get to see their perspectives on things and mm. you know they don't know what an apprenticeship is a lot of the kids because the schools have never even told them what it is you know now you guys have ty yeah the transition year yeah which yeah. i would assume would have Same. helped a few people yeah. out you know and yeah i think sometimes it's looked as a year just to do kind of absolutely nothing oh it's just, just enjoy to yourself, do that you know? walk what's yeah it called again uh, <laughs> Santi- no i don't know what it is um the one in spain um yeah that one the school play yeah all of that and stuff. yeah yeah illegal employment <laughs> and illegal employment too. that's yeah exactly yeah yeah that's getting it. you ready for jobs bridge basically but you know uh, like that that's still sh- like not very many kids in sixth year right now know what a plc is 
they don't know that there are these courses that you don't need a leaving cert for that are actually geared towards your interest, be it photography, videography, whatever it may be, you know, and you can spend an entire year doing that without having a leaving cert and go to the field immediately that you feel like you want to work in for the rest of your life. There's not very many people who know how an apprenticeship works, that you have to spend four years doing it. It's a college degree. You will get paid for doing it, but you'll spend, you know, six months on site working five days a week and then six months, whatever, in in school, you know. Mm. And um, and again, yeah, like these things just aren't common knowledge. And it's a it's a real shame, especially even with like, you know, taxes and stuff. I know this is always said about schools, like, why don't you learn how to do your taxes and stuff? But like what really like it's such a handy thing to know. Like I've forgotten most of the stuff that I've learned in very many classes, but like that would have been really beneficial for me now running a small business and knowing how to actually file things properly and stuff, you know, so simple stuff like that. Um, uh, because then you get to pay an accountant yeah and they yeah, can do yeah, it yeah. for you yeah yeah outsource everything and just create individuals to be you know productive machines in one area for the corporates <laughs> you know that's that's, that's our school model it's like uh at all means just give the corporations what they want uh as much as possible but yeah the hidden costs in irish society you know i think it's like seven eight grand essentially to get your driver's license in this country because by the time you add up all the fees for getting the card itself the physical card doing your theory test doing your driving test doing your lessons getting whatever car it is that you decide you know whatever banger you're going to get or if you're going to spend a bit more and then by the time you've paid tax, NCT, insurance, uh, you know, petrol costs, whatever it is, and then parking charges and yeah. all of this stuff, repair charges, whatever it is. Like, it's an incredibly expensive thing to own and drive a car in Ireland. And then and you need a car to enjoy Ireland. You do. I've yeah, been yeah. here for four years. I saw sweet fuck off. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. I don't have a car. Yeah. Um, I've got my license, you know, so at least that bit is done. Yeah. I, I got my license at 19. I'm 25. Yeah. And I remember moving to Ireland, being 21, going, all right. I heard that 25 is when your insurance is cheaper. I'll just wait till then. My fucking yeah. birthday rolls around. Go to ask my friend. And he's like, yeah, I just asked the person because he was trying to get insurance for his own car. Mm -hmm. And they increased it up to 27 now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's what they do. And we allow a cartel to run our insurance industry in Ireland because back in 2008, one of them went bust. Who, uh, I think it was Satanta at the time. I can't remember exactly, but... Since then, we have this uh, structure in Ireland whereby to sell insurance here, if you're a new company coming into the market, you actually need to sign up to say that if your competitor goes bust because they were acting, you know, stupidly, that you have to bail them out. That's actually, and it's and it's why you've got so few insurance companies in Ireland because no one really wants to sign up to that deal. They're like, well, if if this other company just decides to start, you know, underpricing and and just do dangerous practices then we have to bail them out it's ridiculous you know but <laughs> what genius thought of that <laughs> yeah i know it's kind of crazy but but then on top of that then they there are so few of them that they can there's no competition they can just price signal to each other right jack the prices oh, up now okay we're getting too much heat from the eu bring them down <laughs> a little bit you know whatever it is you know so so the and again we have a massive insurance culture in ireland where you know to do things like skateboarding is a big issue and people are petrified of you falling on their property. Like it is like the worst thing imaginable for them. Like, and I have a question for that actually. Yeah. If I am skating, right. And I'm at your skate park, whatever I fall. Mm -hmm. 
Is there th- is the suing culture that massive in Ireland? Not for skating, like, not skateboarding, no. But in general, but like yes. In general, is in it? general, yes. Yeah. Is it like as bad as America? Uh yeah, I wouldn't say it's too far off. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And they keep it hush hush though. Yeah, kinda. Um, you know, like to my knowledge, still to this day, there's never been a case of a skateboarder taking someone to court because they fell skateboarding on their property because at the end of the day you should lose that uh <laughs> you know you, if you're taking your your own risks to do what you're doing on a skateboard and you fall and it's your own fault then why <laughs> should you be able to sue someone for thousands of euro but uh, there's many instances of you know kids falling in a playground and then suing or a crash or whatever it is and then over time, all you're doing is actually ruining everything around you, you know, and then no one everything can do anything. Everything lame. Yeah, everything is too safe. You know, like, it's it's fascinating to me when you go through the new build to rent fancy uh, apartments through Dublin now. Yeah. And they have these, like, the playgrounds are just outrageous. They're like, there's nothing there. Like, there's like maybe a little hump or something like that. Yeah. Because they're so, and the kids, you know, there's, there's 10, 15 rules of things that you're not allowed to do everywhere yeah. you go and stuff, you know. And There's no freedom. Uh-huh. Like, you know. It's, I like to go, like, whenever I am near, like, a playground, I like to take a good look at it and be like, what, what, what's that for? Yeah. You know, like, like yeah. I have no idea <laughs> yeah. what the crack is with that. Um, Issue four. Well done. Yeah, thank you. That was, uh, that was, I'm really happy with that one, actually. Is this so four years in a row, yeah? Four years in a row, but now we've gotten sponsorship from Vans, who are our first sponsor, uh, which is great. They've That's been, congrats. Yeah, they've been incredibly supportive. Are uh, they on the back? Where are they? They are just on the inside. They're about two pages in, I think, uh, just past the introduction. Um, yeah, there you go. They've been really supportive of us. So actually now what we have the ability to do is to do more, you know, basically, because they're supporting us. So instead of doing one a year, I'm, I'm kind of looking at maybe about three a year, give or take. Oh. Yeah. And that's going to change. Like Ireland's never had that. Yeah. You know, we've only ever really had, uh, you know, one or two magazines and very few of them lasted for that long and and even you know ever got sort of sponsorship and stuff and we didn't even we tried to get sponsorship before and it just wasn't really happening but then vans reached out to us vans like which is the best best people i wanted to work with frankly you know they were like it's it's as if you're a basketball player and you got sponsored by nike yeah pretty much yeah yeah pretty much and it's it's so it's amazing and uh it's gonna i think it's gonna make a big difference if that continues because there's never really been consistent investment in Irish skateboarding and that's mm. one of the things that's held it back quite a lot you know because we've produced very good skateboarders for a long time but we've never been able to give them the outlets to go and make a career out of it you know Jamie Griffin is yes smashing it. brilliant brilliant skateboarder but again still has to move to London you know you can't yeah. stay where he is you know which is which is look that's okay the industry is where it is but to get the next Jamie Griffin you know there needs to be more of it. Like Jamie Griffin's story is incredible because that's a person who grew up with very, very little to skate and became mm-hmm. one of the best skateboarders in the world, you know, just through he has a sheer drive, determination. Though. Yeah. Like, uh, I think sometimes you also have to look at the it factor mm-hmm. and you always hear about it. But then when you look at Jamie, you're like, it's brilliant. I get it. Yeah. Like he also had a vision, I think. I'd say so. Yeah. I, I mean, that's someone who like, it's such a it's such a beautiful story yeah. i think i can't wait to see where he goes from here because i think that you know just like to, again when i'm looking at those kids in this year i'm like there's literally no reason why you can't 
reach the tops of like the pinnacles of yeah. skateboarding especially if, with if you Jamie's wanted to. story yeah, of yeah, yeah. skating in a shed exactly because you know that's what they no have. matter how limited the mm. scenario you can be in you can still become great at this thing and that's the beauty of skateboarding and, and kind of what it offers and some there's a lot of good skateboarders across the world professionals and amazing skateboarders who grew up in places with very very little to skate you know so like the potential is always there for it you know mm-hmm. and that's the beauty of skateboarding is that you know even if it is just the road that those kids had in a share even if it is just your shed that jamie had when he was growing up you can still utilize that and make it your own and do as much as you possibly can through it you know so like for me skating changed as i got a little bit older to mean less about wanting to do the tricks and more about like just doing projects via the magazine or whatever it is and more about kind of bringing people together to do stuff to now where I'm at a point at the moment where I'm like, I want to do all of that. And I want to also explore how much skating can change in society, like how much difference it can make to a place, a community like Inishir or a community like Portobello or a community like Dunleary or Ballyfermer or something like that, you know, like how much, dif- what's, what's its actual potential if it's done correctly to change things, you know, because I could look at, oh, well, if I wanted to change the world in that regard, why don't you go into politics, whatever it is? I think that's a horrible game anyway. Oh, I, it's I think so filthy. It's just not something that I'm really that interested in. But with this, I can be creative. I can, you know, keep into contact with people who are my friends or otherwise meet new people. And you're constantly coming up with ideas and all of this stuff, you know. And yeah. so it's beautiful. The creativity aspect of it is there. But also there's this unknown thing in the near future because as skating is getting bigger, it's going to become more and more relevant to policy decisions in space, you know, in in like parks or like public space and stuff like that. And again, I do think that it has the potential to be very special and like to get Lena on the cover the first woman, Irish woman to ever have a a skateboarding cover, like is really special, but it's also, it's also a dedication. Like it's also like a, a result, I suppose, of like the work that like skaters have put in and then like, people who are now blowing up on the world stage of skateboarding who are women, you know, like yes. it's, it's skating is so young that in places like Palestine, where there's, uh, you know, uh, charitables built skate parks and stuff, there's no preconceptions in this place as to, Oh, this is a male sport or a woman's mm. sport. You know, this is actually for just about everybody. So there's as many, if not more women in skating in those places than there are men. So and lovely. now when I go to skate parks in Ireland, I keep noticing very consistently that everyone under the age of 12 who's skating is a girl. Sky. You know? Yeah, Sky, Sky Brown. Brown. And it's a massive inspiration. So like the more stories like that you get, the better. And then the more skating is proving itself mm. to be a very powerful way to get people active physically, mentally, creative, whatever it is, you know. Because again, the thing with skating is it's everything and it's nothing at the same time. It's a sport, but it's also like kind of more like an art, you know it's uh it's it's creative but it's also like you know it's it's physical and stuff like that so you can you can skate and you can just think about the tricks or you can actually skate and think about it from a creative standpoint behind a camera that's what i found especially fascinating because i was always so interested and would be like looking at the red bull events and all that yeah but it's like no i really like how they film things yeah and the photography, because that's something else that I wanted to ask you is, mm-hmm. let's say someone is really fascinated by the skateboarding culture, but they're, yeah. they they don't want to skate, but they want to take photos that end up on this magazine. Mm-hmm. How? Uh, what model did you set up? So this is the thing, like, uh, 
there's so many good photographers that I know and that I've even attempted to do skating photos with them, but it's so difficult. A skater will know what the photo should look like, even if they're not a photographer, but a, a photographer who isn't a skateboarder, that it's just nearly impossible to explain it. Yeah. Because when you look at that cover, for instance, you know, it's caught in the exact, like the millisecond right time, you know, the right angle, the right distance, all of it is, a, it's mostly it's about, trying to make the trick itself look as difficult as possible and getting whatever it is in your surroundings in then as well to like kind of heighten it and make the photo look better you know mm -hmm. um but if you don't know how the skate trick itself should look then it's going to be very difficult to take the skate photo you know because that's where the knowledge of skating comes in so it's it's such a big you know part of skate photography and skate photography has, has suffered in years recently because everything's moved to video now you know like there's 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 a lot of people filming in ireland but there's very few people taking photographs in ireland because look the goblin's only a couple of years old it's it's not that old but some of the some of the young guys who we've been working with since are getting very good and they're going places and stuff which is like what we want to see you know we yeah. want to encourage more women to start taking photos and, Go and on, ladies. you know and just keep keep pushing that as much as we can but it's really difficult like skate photography like i've always really been on the other end of the camera in terms of like you know being the person getting photographs of taking you know with tricks and stuff like that but you know the, the skate photographer usually is a very unique individual in that um it has to be spurred a moment you know it's like you never really plan these things out too much and then to if it's spurred a moment you've only got like a couple of minutes to think about what the best possible angle is going to be Mm. like how the lighting is going to be you know and then look you can do little bits of editing afterwards but for the most part the photo it's is what it is natural most of the time eh? yeah yeah now tell me this when it comes to the dynamic bit like in the creative community mm -hmm. and then niche it down to skating where would people mostly like butt heads is um, it just in the photography aspect as in like would filmers butt heads with photographers or, or or is it with the skaters or is it sometimes difficult to shoot a skater because they're so determined and stubborn get, i get you yeah so um this is this is really interesting with skating right as opposed to just about any other like sport right yeah if you have a person who will score you, you know, 40 goals in football a year, whatever it is. It literally doesn't matter what that person's personality is like. Mm -hmm. They will be put in that team and they will be like the most loved person yeah, sure. ever. If a skateboarder was a dick, they wouldn't be on a team because that means that the team would have to hang around with that person and go on trips with them for long periods of time. And it would be that everyone would fall out and more than likely people would leave that team. You know what I mean? So like to be a skateboarder, generally speaking, there's always exceptions, but like you have to be nice, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to an extent, like you, you have, have to be, sound. you have to be sound. And this is the thing with skating is, you know, so much of skateboarding is actually just hanging out like hanging out with people you know what i mean like chatting whatever Taking turns i'm assuming if yeah like skating. Yeah, yeah like if you're at a spot it's like not everyone is there with headphones in me like i'm just skating you know i don't want to like talk yeah. to anyone else some people will do that but like for the most part people are just conversating between their goes and you know just having a laugh and like oh how you, you know whatever it is surfing i think suffers from that because just by the nature of being in, in the water you're kind of more distance and stuff and, yeah. you, and you know you're waiting on it this wave that's going to come if you miss it you miss it and that's it's a problem but like with skating like those ramps aren't going anywhere so no. so you're just there chatting and stuff so personality is very important people know because skating is still a small world even though it's blown up so much in recent years and stuff 
people will still know if a pro is a dick. And if they find out they are, they're kind of just like, oh, I'm not really that gone on that person anymore. And then that person's favorability will wane. And then actually their, their career will wane because of that too. Then, you know, um, and again, skating always goes through these cycles of like, what's cool and what's not, you know, it's constantly changing and stuff yeah. like, yeah. So, so it's interesting. Like what, what keeps skating cool is, is the personalities and the creative types and stuff like that. But obviously that's always changing and what's in and what's out and stuff like that but like and and then yeah like i don't know the the, the button heads thing is you know i i wouldn't see it from an industry perspective as much but you can like always go onto these online forums like uh what's the really well-known one uh i think it's is it slap and I, I i actually just don't go onto these things at all because i'm no interest in them but you can like look at all the beefs between people and stuff like that whatever it is but okay. it's just like i don't know it's just gossip. oh that's a little bit of gossip that sometimes <laughs> yeah helps, yeah you know? i mean there's gossip here too there's yeah, plenty of other people love to moan you oh, know what i mean yeah, like they do it's funny in some it's part of the process stuff, you know? there, it's, yeah. there's a reason why pop culture exists yeah and yeah. it's because of all the gossip yeah and yeah. who fuck who <laughs> And who screwed over this person and who is going to be in prison because yeah. fraud. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I love that. But, like, there are instances <laughs> where that can actually destroy a skateboarding scene, too, if it gets bad enough, you know? Like, there yeah. are there are places, even in Ireland, where, like, in recent times, like, you know, people have fallen out with each other or wherever it is. And it's really sad to see that then, you know? Because at the end of the yeah. day, like, I was making this point to some kids before that, like, they didn't really get along with this one other kid who was skating and stuff, but... I was like, look, like you are skateboarders, you know, like at the end of the day, when you're going through a street and stuff, like people aren't looking at you like, like, is there any difference to anybody, you know, mm -hmm. to, like if you have a skateboard, you like to everyone who's looking at you from the outside world, like you're just the same people, wherever it is, they're not looking at you like, oh, you're so-and-so and he's so-and-so and I don't like blah, blah, blah. But like, if you get hassle wherever it is, like you need that other skateboarder to back you up, you know, mm -hmm. and like you're going through tense situations at times skating in in cities and streets and stuff you know you'll be dealing with security guards and aggressive public people and stuff you know stuff like that so like you have to have each other's backs at the end of the day and you know that's where the community aspect of it is really important like like the temple bar situation is a very good example of that you know like those kids are only young they probably only knew like you know they probably obviously knew a good few people but like not everybody knew them but like a lot of people stood up for them who had never even met for them met them before you know yeah, so. because they're like no we have to make a stunt yeah on, on this yeah, yeah skating has like such a soft spot for me i think especially because obviously looking at like women in sport mm -hmm. i've seen it so many times where teams just dwindle down and the women's team is no longer there yeah or the class is no longer there and as you kind of said when it comes to skating some bad dynamic will just make something flop yes and i don't know it's just something so important to me when i see like such a thriving community uh, especially looking at what skate kitchen did in new york for yeah. example and then popping up and saying like girl skate in dundalk for mm -hmm. example you're yeah. just like yeah. i see i see what who you guys are channeling yes and well done and yeah. keep going um even for young kids or just young girls that aren't into kamogi they're not into like mm -hmm. sports in general but they're not into like dance or art you have this like it yeah, can yeah. be done yeah and, totally, yeah. uh, it, it's physical but you don't have contact sports so yeah. yeah philly you're doing it <laughs> well fucking done what fair play Thank i think you so you're much. probably the only guest that has 
done so many things on property. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I still have no idea how you do it, but I'm sure you have a massive team behind you. That really I do it. have an incredible, like, and it's the thing, like, it's like from my family to my friends, like the yeah. people behind me are like actually outstanding. Like uh, I get to be like uh, the face on the night when I'm introducing what's happening or whatever it is, yeah. but like, it's, it's all the people that are kind of around you. Like at the end of the day, like every page on that magazine is a piece of work and creative work and an effort that another person has yeah. done to put it together with everybody else to make a project where they can all then come together you know what i mean so like yeah. that's i'm lucky enough to be able to just I, i'm just a monkey who runs around putting things together i'm like yeah. right I send this in here put that file there put it together whatever mm -hmm. it is connecting people who can put a magazine together to like have the ability to make an interview or, or make it interesting and something like that or like getting the photographer to communicate with so-and-so or whatever it's mm -hmm. really and truly what I'm doing is just like being in the middle of a circle and just talking to people I mean like what do you think about this what do you think about that could this be done could that be done and stuff like that so yeah. and and then being given support back for it as well because I recently even have gone through difficult patches and then I'm being told like well think about it like all of this people are together at this minute you know even on in a shear there's tough days in the wind and the rain and stuff like that and you're like why are we here and you know you're kind of questioning that because you're working so hard you're working like 14 hours a day or whatever it is but then you're like nah this is why look the kids are here like you know they're yeah. stoked they're unbelievably happy and we're all here together just to do this because we love skateboarding and we we love each other even like you know it's mm -hmm. really you're doing this thing for people as opposed to skating you know whatever about skating at the end of the day it all comes down to people i think so because even if they just let go of that skateboard they still have that friend exactly or they still yeah. know that exactly. I can have a pint over there. Yep, exactly. Yeah. What's next for you? Um, I'm looking forward to uh, constructing the skate park in Dunleary. I think that that will actually be really nice because we've been given creative, like we've been given the design on that too, so we can Would actually that be get Goblin? creative. Uh, or something. I mean, else? like technically, yeah, yeah, technically. kind of, yeah. I mean, um. The long-term goal is to do the Irish Skateboarding Association. And yeah. that's in the works now. For I've been working on that for the last two years, just trying to get push that ball. But it's a very slow-moving, uh, you know, wheel. So it will happen. I would have thought that would be fairly quick since it's a non-Olympic no. sport. No, no. it's We're still in Draconian Ireland where, you know, we then have to team up with, like, every other sport who uses a plastic wheel, essentially. You know, it's kind of crazy. Oh. Yeah. Uh, but that's just where we're at at the minute. But I think that a lot of that will get resolved in the next 18 months. So that's the plan for the long term. I think if we can get that set up and it's there for future generations to use and get funding and stuff like that, then mm -hmm. all the better. And then for me, um, I am going to chill for a couple of days and then work on issue five straight away because we want to do well. We've booked out the Sugar Club for November 25th, I think it is. Uh, so we're going to release issue five, uh, do the first time we'll do two magazines within a year and premiere Rose of the Streets as well. Wait, that's 20. It's like eight weeks away. It's yeah, that's what I was saying. At first I was like, oh, that's at the end of the year. You're yeah. fine. I'm yeah. like, fuck no, it's September. <laughs> it's a very, very short period of time to put it together. Shit. But again, I'm, I'm fairly confident of it because... Oh. Like the Goblin team at the minute is super strong. We've got Michael McMaster who's come on to do a lot of the editing and editing and creative direction. And then Aiden Moore, who's like me and Aiden have been working on this together for years now. Okay. And he's absolutely amazing. Does all of our design, everything that makes us look professional in that magazine is down to Aiden, right. you know? And then, you know, that's just like the immediate crew. But outside of that, there's a lot more people who are putting stuff together. So, okay. yeah. 
Perfect. Thank you so much for joining thank me. Thank you. Kitty. Thank you. Really appreciate it. And thank you, TJ. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I forgot to say that. Cheers. <laughs>